you're in town uh, for a week, and obviously you don't have too many opportunities to eat Kansas City food these days. So where all have you gone to so far? Oh my God, I've I've been just eating my way across the city, all kinds of hot eats and cool treats. I started off <laughs> watching football with you on Sunday, and since there was no Chiefs football on Sunday, we got to watch Red Zone, seven hours of commercial-free football, plus the London game. We started it off with, of course, Q39, and we went to uh, Whataburger for dinner, which, okay, I get it. It's not technically a Kansas City local establishment, but I can't get it in Colorado, so I consider it to be... You know, I can't get it here. I can't get it there. Uh, Monday night, we were at Johnny's over on Antioch, right over by your place. And uh, that was great. Got some amazing mac and cheese there. Sampled a number of local brews. More about Johnny's later. Delicious. More about Johnny's later. Uh, on uh, Tuesday for lunch, I decided to hit up Planet Sub. Can't get that in Colorado. Love Planet Sub. Love the yeah. sub sandwiches there. Of course, I had to do Joe's. You know, double dip on the barbecue. I already got the Q39. I went to Joe's and got burn ends on uh, Tuesday night, which was excellent. Last night we were hanging out. Wednesday, uh, we went to Minsky's, and oh my God, brother! Mm. I know you mm. were there. I don't have to yeah. tell you. No. But in addition to getting the Joe's pizza, which uh, you know, I mean, sure, back to back nights eating Joe's, then you know, Joe's on a plate, Joe's on a pizza, Joe's in the air fryer for lunch today. Yeah, mm, top notch. Yeah. Uh, we got a an Oktoberfest pizza, which had a mustard pale ale based sauce. Delicious. Then it had sliced sausage, cheese curds, mm -hmm. tater tots, mm -hmm. bacon. Oh, it was bananas. And uh, in between all of that, I slipped in a trip to Somersault Ice Cream over off of Mission. I don't know if you've ever been there. I think you've had it at my house before, but yeah. oh my goodness, that place is insane. They make this uh, chocolate orange ice cream with uh, some chocolate from Andre's another local establishment. I have my rehearsal dinner for my wedding there. Oh, just incredible. I'm going to hit up rye later on tonight. Just an amazing week of eating and drinking and watching the chiefs. Welcome in to It's Always Sunny in Chiefs Kingdom. I'm Austin. You can find me on Twitter at Real Bird Lawyer. I'm here in the greatest city on earth, Kansas City, Missouri, technically in Leewood, Kansas, with my parents at my parents' basement right now when I'm recording this. That's really where podcasting got its start. So it's great for me to be here in the basement of my parents' house recording this podcast with you, my co-host, as always, Taylor. Find him on Twitter at Taylor's underscore wit. What's going on, buddy? Can, can I ask, when you say podcasting got its start, do you mean like the concept of podcasting yes. got its start at in people's parents' basements? Yes. It I dovetails it. with the whole, you know, like the, the whole concept of like blogging, yeah. podcasting, all that stuff. Everybody knows. And don't quote me on this. Don't at me. But listen, that's where all of these nerds that are giving takes that never played the sport, they're all doing it from their mom's basements. And so I'm proud to bring you guys this edition of It's Always Sunny and Cheese Kingdom from my parents' basement. It's incredible. You uh, can find our merchandise at Dabatee, Dabatee.com. We're brought to you, of course, by the Pigskin Podcast Network at PigskinPodNet. And you can check out our partners, DraftKings and Underdog Fantasy. 
our fantasy partners. DraftKings, of course, you can play them every week. Underdog Fantasy, you can do drafts every week. Even if you didn't get in on the season-long draft action, you can use our promo code SUNNY, S-U-N-N-Y, to get a matching bonus of up to $100. So if you put $100 in, you get $100 in free cash that you can put into Underdog Drafts. It's amazing. It's incredible. I mean, what else is there to say? Not a bad sitch. Everybody's throwing money at all these uh, gambling sites, and and it couldn't be a better time to be alive. we got a great show for you guys today. We're going to talk about the news. We're going to talk about a thrilling, scintillating, stressful <laughs> win over the Raiders, Chiefs 30, Raiders 29 on Monday Night Football. And then we're going to talk about probably the most anticipated, the most hyped, the most... I don't know, stress-inducing mm-hmm. matchup of the season. Week six, the Buffalo Bills are traveling to Arrowhead to play the Chiefs. But first, let's talk about the... So we start the news, as always, with the injury report. We are recording this on Thursday afternoon, and the DNPs on Thursday did not practice. They included Frank Clark, defensive end for the Chiefs. He did not practice today with an illness. He left the game on Monday night midway through... He still is not practicing. Whatever is ailing Frank Clark, it kept him out of practice today. Quarterback Rashad Fenton got it. He's listed on the injury report, and it's it's not burn-related. Okay, <laughs> It's not because he was getting toasted on Monday night. It's hamstring-related. He uh, apparently pulled his hamstring or tweaked something trying to keep up with Devontae Adams unsuccessfully on Monday. He did not practice today. Brian Cook is in the concussion protocol, so he did do some work. He wasn't completely absent from practice today, but he's in the protocol unclear whether he will be able to clear that or not. You know, the Frank Clark thing, we'll start with him. We probably could have cut together a number of different things we've said over the last two years about Frank Clark and his illnesses and played him here. And nobody ever would have noticed the difference because he's just been sick just constantly since the day he arrived. I don't know if he's got like an Oregon trail type of disease or, or what's going (laughs) on with Frank Clark, but he, he just can't quite, keep everything down and or in or wherever whatever's going on with him i feel bad for him but like i'm i'm getting a little i don't know tired of it i guess sure i think that's completely fair and uh i guess let's let's spin this back here to some positive injury news and that's harrison bucker now i know that we delivered what i would consider what i considered the time to be positive harrison bucker news last week and it feels like maybe even the week before that but Kicker Harrison Bucker has practiced both days this week for the Chiefs. According to Dave Tobe, he is expected to play on Sunday, barring a major setback. He is back to kicking out of his full three-step motion. This obviously is huge news. We've been calling it huge news each week, thinking that he might play. Mm-hmm. He hasn't managed to suit up, but the Chiefs would be 5-0. and They'd be undefeated if Harrison Bucker had stayed healthy all year. They would have won the Colts game handily. They had a couple of, they had a missed field goal, a missed extra point in that game. They lost by three. And on top of that, they pulled out an asinine fake field goal attempt in that game (laughs) that they would have just kicked had Harrison Bucker been on the field. And if they weren't dealing with a Matt Amendola situation. So this would be huge news if Bucker is able to continue to progress and suit up on Sunday. Well, you know, if, um, if Matt Wright had maybe been a little bit more consistent, in his stepping in of Harrison Bucker, I might not have, you know, thought this was as big of a deal, Uh, but clearly we'll talk about him in a little bit, but Matt Wright's performance against the Raiders kind of underscored to everyone that 
They need Harrison Bucker back out there. Every point's going to matter against the Bills. You cannot waste possessions. You cannot even miss extra points. You can't, well, I guess Bucker might not help with that too much, but um, you definitely cannot be missing chip shot field goals. And uh, that's going to be, if Bucker's back to his normal self, that's a huge boost for the Chiefs. Speaking of huge boost for the Chiefs, Trey Smith was out on Monday with a pectoral injury. Nick Allegretti filled in for him at right guard and frankly struggled a little bit. Trey Smith back to practicing this week. It looks like he is on track to play on Sunday. And finally, Trent McDuffie, the Chiefs' first pick in the 2022 rookie draft back in April, is has been designated to return from IR. Now, he has not officially been activated yet. The Chiefs do not have to release his practice status until he is activated and reinstated to the active roster. That hasn't happened yet. So his practice status is a little bit of a mystery, but he has been out working yesterday and today. He is in the facility, just as Andy Reid had predicted last week. It sounds like, by all indications, there is a very real chance that Trent McDuffie will be activated before Sunday and will suit up on Sunday afternoon against Buffalo. What's really encouraging about that is that, you know, they're not going to throw him out there against the Wolves, the, the hardest offense, you know, probably that the Chiefs will face all year, unless they feel really good about his health and his ability to help the Chiefs. So make no mistake, this is not going to be injured Trent McDuffie limping back onto the field and getting burnt by, I mean, you know, if he's out there, they're, they're going to expect him to perform at his first round talent level. And I mean, that would be just a gigantic help for a secondary that needs it and against you know arguably the most dynamic offense in football maybe outside of Kansas City so uh it certainly would be gigantic news couldn't be a bigger addition here in week six than Trent McDuffie being added back to the defense well and to your point just to remind everybody for those of you that don't know Trent McDuffie was put on IR with a hamstring injury and that's not to diminish the seriousness of yeah. hamstring injuries especially for I mean, all football players need their hamstrings, but for a defensive back, obviously somebody that's going to be running around quite a bit, you have to have those soft uh, tissue organs in good working order. And he went out early in the first half against uh, against the Cardinals in week mm -hmm. one and went on IR. And, you know, you don't you frequently see players not even go on the IR for hamstring injuries. It obviously depends on the severity. But to your point, I think the fact that they put him on IR kept him really out of the building for four weeks to make sure that it would absolutely be at 100% ready to go by the time he was back in the building and ready to go. It sounds like that's where we're at with Trent McDuffie, that they've given him probably more than enough time to get off. You know, if this were a different player, a veteran player, and, you know, maybe with a, a slightly less serious pull, you know, maybe this is something that he could have come back from after, you know, one or two weeks. And they've given him four weeks, got to feel like he's probably completely healthy. That'll be a big boost for the Chiefs on Sunday. Some unfortunate injury news. Treshawn Wharton tore his ACL on Monday, defensive tackle for the Chiefs. He is going to be out for the year. And so there is a corresponding roster move to him being placed on injured reserve. Defensive tackle Taylor Stallworth called up from the practice squad to the active roster. He's 27 years old, former undrafted free agent. He spent the last four seasons with the Indianapolis Colts and actually had his best year last year with the Colts as a 26-year-old player. Three sacks, 16 tackles, 12 quarterback hits. So nice. this is a guy who, you know, the Chiefs have Danny Shelton, Feast Mode, on the practice squad as well. And they had some options as far as who they were going to call up. They decided to go with Stallworth. It seems like he's probably, between those two guys, more of a one-for-one -one replacement for Turk. Obviously, they're going to miss Turk, but, you know, Stallworth's a decent little player. He's a guy that can potentially get after the quarterback a little bit. 
that's not so much what Danny Shelton offers you. And I think, you know, this could be, it could be just this week. It could be that it's a rotation from here to the end of the year between Stallworth and Shelton. We're going to get to what the Bills do well when we preview this game at the end. But spoiler ain't alert, running. <laughs> what they do well is not running running the football up the middle or anywhere. Yeah. Really, uh, it, it's throwing the ball. It's passing the ball with Josh Allen. It's getting Josh Allen running the football. And of those two guys, Stallworth seems like the guy you want to have in this matchup. I think that's good analysis uh, with it being the Bills this week. And, you know, Stallworth was certainly – you know, one of the last cuts on the 53 initially, um, yes. you know, in after training camp, he had a good camp. Everyone kind of thought that there was a decent chance that he could have made the active roster from week one. So this is not a, uh, you know, a scrub practice squad guy that's going to get called up and not see any playing time or anything like that. Like, I think the Chiefs do expect him to be a contributor on that D line and the D line has been playing pretty well. So um, I think that's uh, that's a good call up for them. In uh, in legal news, fortunately, <laughs> uh, a legal situation that does not require me to break it down from a Chiefs perspective, but an incident occurred at Arrowhead on Monday night, uh, shortly after colliding with Hunter Renfro <laughs> on the last play of the game that sealed the win for the Chiefs. More on that in a minute. Star wide receiver Devontae Adams of the Las Vegas Raiders was leaving the field and a cameraman got in front of him. And I, I don't mean to suggest by that choice of words that the cameraman jumped out in front of him or that the cameraman shouldn't have been there. He was there. Their paths crossed. And their paths crossed. And Devontae Adams decided to shove the cameraman with both hands, pushed him to the ground. He uh, transported himself to the hospital or, or called an ambulance for himself. We don't know how badly this individual was injured. He was essentially a contractor. For ESPN's Monday Night Football, he filed a police report. And so yesterday, Devontae Adams charged with misdemeanor assault in Kansas City Municipal Court for shoving that cameraman. Now, Taylor. Yes. You may uh, you may know that I have some some legal background. Uh, Former as of today, former prosecutor, still still technically staying in the prosecutorial field, still staying in criminal law, still staying on the right side of the law, but transitioning Mm -hmm. into a new role starting Monday. I'm going to break this down for you here really quick because there's a lot of misconceptions about what happens when this sort of situation occurs. So number one, this guy got shoved. He got shoved on national television. We don't know how badly he was hurt, but like at the very least, it was a very rude and obnoxious thing for Devontae Adams to do. He didn't have permission to do it. He committed a crime and we all saw it on national television. So this victim, the cameraman went to report this to the Kansas city police department, which has jurisdiction over Arrowhead Stadium, a police report was filed. Now, at this point, I think there's a misconception about what happens after you file a police report. Uh, Police don't file charges unless you're going to make a report, right? Like they don't go out and file charges based on, you know, it's not like there was a guy sitting down at the station house, right? And he like saw it happen on live (laughs) TV TV. and he was like, oh shit, I got a crime (laughs) charge right here. No, no, no. That's not how it happens. It has to be reported by a victim. And so in that sense, you know, you hear the phrase pressing charges frequently in that sense. Like if you don't go to the police and make a report of what happened, nothing's going to get filed. Right. So in that sense, pressing charges, you know, starts with a police report being made. Now at that point, it's not like the police, uh, typically they, they may ask, you know, do you want to press charges? The police may ask that, but at the point, the police, you know, decide, Hey, a crime's been committed. Their obligation then is to submit it to, a prosecutor. In this case, the Kansas City Police Department had the option 
presenting this case to the Jackson County Prosecutor's Office, which would prosecute uh, misdemeanors and felonies, or sending this to the Kansas City Municipal Court, which also prosecutes misdemeanors. Both state court and municipal court can prosecute the same types of crimes. Municipal court is less serious. So the police took a report and they decided to refer this up to the municipal prosecutor, which is not, I don't want any municipal prosecutors to take offense to this. It's less important than it going to the Jackson County prosecutor's office. Uh, So this case was referred and charges were filed and he's been charged with the equivalent of a misdemeanor in municipal court. He could face up to 180 days in jail. He's not going to get any jail time guys. It's not that serious, but listen, like, I want to get your opinion here just as a lay person, like Mm -hmm. what the hell, right? Yeah. I mean, when you see the shove, I think from a, from a human reaction of watching one person do that to another person. Yeah. It's not the worst crime I've ever seen, but like, it certainly deserves some type of slap on the wrist, some type of type of accountability. Devontae Adams obviously didn't reach down and apologize or help the guy up or do any type of, you know, contrite action. At that point, he storms off into the locker room. He tweets a little like, Oh, I'm sorry to the dude that I pushed. Yeah. Hope he sees it. Even though the guy's clearly like still in the same building as you, like you for sure could have located that guy. If you wanted to, you didn't want to, you wanted to just tweet it and forget about it. You knew everyone saw it. I doubt if he, if he, it happened in the tunnel or somewhere where there were no cameras, I really doubt Devonte Adams would have even, said two shits about it and done done anything so from that perspective just from like a me wanting to see bullies get held accountable for their bullying type of actions it was bullshit and i i'm glad that the charge is filed from more of like a high level like do i think this type of thing should be a crime and blah 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 like you know he reported whiplash he reported a possible minor concussion those are things that some people i'm sure just on the surface have doubted the severity of but at the but at the same time he reported him and you've got to take that as his word so i definitely think that adams is probably going to be punished appropriately i don't think it'll be very much but i think whatever he gets is appropriate for what happened you think he gets uh you think he gets a suspension maybe a game i do think it's kind of so the nfl's personal conduct policy is not law it's not a court of law it's right. a integrity of the shield and conduct detrimental to the league and all this stuff that is basically completely at the discretion of the commissioner. We've learned that time and time and time again, that there is no equivalent from criminal law to NFL suspension. So that being said, this was a Monday night football game. This was not a Sunday afternoon game or something like that. This was literally everybody in the league watching a primetime Chiefs Raiders matchup. And then they see Devontae Adams shove an innocent camera guy to the ground. I just think that Goodell keeps that type of thing in mind. And I, and he thinks that, like, man, if I don't ding Devontae Adams for a game, like, everyone's going to be saying, what the hell, Goodell? So I do think he gets a game. I think it's probably a little harsh to give him a game, but I think it's what's going to happen. Yeah, I think I think he probably it's hard to predict, but I think he he gets a game, maybe maybe two, probably not, probably a single game. But I mean, like you can't have you think about all the different people that are involved in the production of something like Monday Night Football. And this literally was like, I think the guy's first day on the job. And, yeah, you know, I mean, you got to protect those people on the sideline, right? Like I we kind of had this conversation, obviously a completely different situation, but when we were talking about Willie Gay breaking that vacuum cleaner, dude, 
I, I get that it like looks not that serious on the TV, but like if Devontae Adams pushed me, like, I mean, number one, I'm going to the ground, like a sack of potatoes. Like I'm uh-huh. just, I'm going down. Especially okay. holding a big camera. Yeah, right. Exactly. Like I'm, I'm going to the ground. It's concrete down there. You know, it's probably not going to feel very good. Plus like, I mean, some personal injury attorney is going to sue for emotional damages out the ass. That was on national television. Like yeah, he just, he just punched him and <laughs> walked away. Like, uh-huh. I mean, listen, I, I get it. People are raised differently. There are a lot of people that have, have looked at that situation and say like, whatever it's soft to suspend him for this. Like it's not like, just don't have control of your emotions. You got to have that kind of behavior. This is uh, in some way, some twisted sense. This brings me a small amount of joy because, I mean, it, it's just the Raiders being the Raiders. And I'm, to be clear, I would have a different opinion if he seriously hurt. I, I, I yeah. certainly don't. I don't want the cameraman to get hurt. But no. the idea of the Raiders doing this behavior, it just is it's expected. And it's something that, like, if you told me before the season, week five at Arrowhead, Devontae Adams is going to crash into another Raiders player. They're going to lose the game by one point, and then he's going to push cameraman. Mm-hmm. Well, of course, that was always going yeah. to happen. That was yes. always going to happen. A lot this of tweets about, like, Vegas this Raiders. is the first time that Devontae Adams truly became a Raider and that type yeah, of, like, exactly. you know, I mean, it, the jokes write themselves there at that point. The Raiders have had, you know, a myriad of, of behavioral issues in the past, and and this is this is just kind of par for the course for them, especially given this direction their season is going and how frustrated Adams was at the result and everything. Like, it's just all, yeah, it, it all screams very Raiders behavior. Um, and as you said, if it were – worse injury if there was a broken bone or anything you know that harsh it would feel a lot grosser to kind of laugh about it but like at the end of the day this guy's getting his bag because a millionaire pushed him to the ground and like that's 2022 that's what's going to happen you know if you're rich and on national tv and you push someone to the ground like you're probably going to have to pay that guy a little bit and that's yeah. that's what we're seeing let's jump into this game because this is an absolutely wild bananas ridiculous game to recap the Chiefs. Yes, it was. Edge out the Raiders, 30 to 29. Chiefs were down 17 to nothing early, just five minutes into the second quarter that they were down already uh, three scores. I mean, 17 to nothing. That included a 58-yard touchdown pass to Devontae Adams on the first drive of the game. On fourth and one, they go for it and get a 58-yard touchdown pass after the Chiefs get gashed for three to four extra yards after they bottle up Josh Jacobs on third down. The Chiefs do ultimately answer after being down 17 to nothing with the first of four Travis Kelsey touchdown receptions for Patrick Mahomes. It's 17 to seven. And that sets up arguably the play of the game. I mean, you could almost call it for the Raiders and possibly for the chiefs as well. The play of the season sack of Derek Carr by Chris Jones on third and eight, which would have killed the Raiders hopes of scoring again before the half they're driving. They're almost to midfield. Chris Jones not only gets the sack, but also forces a fumble and recovers the fumble. Either way, even if he hadn't gotten the ball back, this is the end of the drive. The Chiefs are getting the ball back with the chance to to put some points on the board and be down maybe just three going into halftime. And then Carl Cheffers calls roughing the passer. And I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that all hell broke loose. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Arrowhead cranked up the volume, cranked up the booze, absolutely lost their minds, and for great reason. I mean, this was as universally panned of a call as you'll see in the NFL. I mean, there there were unbiased third-party observers just completely – and, you know, we have to 
we have to bring up the Grady Jarrett play from this weekend or from yesterday, from Sunday, where he sacked Tom Brady, the Falcons defensive end, Grady Jarrett, sacks Tom Brady on third down, would have gotten the ball back to the Falcons in the fourth quarter, down seven. Instead, I mean, and he really rolls him from his left hip to his right hip. He does not rough him by anyone's objective opinion of roughing the passer, but uh, Jerome Boger calls roughing the passer there. Tom Brady gets the ball, they win the game. So everyone was already Monday before the lead up to the Chiefs Raiders game, a buzz about how ridiculous the roughing the passer calls were have gone and all this stuff. And then and you have to think that the league had a conversation with yeah. Carl Treffer's crew yes. about it before the game. Yes. How could they not they had have? to have if they're they're not doing their job if they didn't? So then this play happens. Chris Jones takes the ball from Derek Carr on the way to the ground. He braces his fall with his off hand that doesn't have the ball, his left hand, so that his full weight does not fully land on Derek Carr. He gets up. He was going to start rumbling with the ball. Like, let's not forget, not only did they screw up this call, but they blew the play dead on a play that Chris Jones very well might have scored a defensive touchdown. And instead, it's roughing the passer when the passer did not even have the ball at the moment he was roughed. The Raiders get 15 yards when already, you know, if that were Chiefs ball there, not only could Chris Jones have scored, but if he had gotten tackled, the Chiefs offense certainly would have had great opportunity to go down and score a touchdown, cut this to a three-point game. Instead, the Raiders end up getting a field goal out of the deal, and Arrowhead is as vintage, perfect, destroying everything in sight Arrowhead that you could ever imagine. They are booing they are and they're booing when the chiefs have the ball they're booing timeouts they're booing commercials they're booing literally everything that moves everything that lives and it's it's a very cathartic experience to be in a crowd like that i we were not there on monday night but i have been there before where the whole crowd agrees with something and they are letting everyone know about it and it's like they fed off of that for the volume and they it just got louder and louder and crazier and man it was a sight to behold yeah, it was as electric as Arrowhead has been in quite some time. It's actually, I enjoyed watching it on TV because knowing that the crowd is in a mood from the television is like a different level. Yes, like it, yes. all the all the sound filtering and everything that they do to you know be able to broadcast these games from a stadium where you know the the sound is routinely. 70 or 80 decibels, you know, peaking up in the 130, 140 range. That's right. Uh, they, they, they do a lot of work to keep that from seeping onto the broadcast. They could not contain it <laughs> on Monday night. All right. No. Like no. you could hear it for literally like 20 straight minutes, how pissed off the crowd was. We're going to talk about that. Chance of rest, you suck and bullshit yeah. and all that. I mean, like, yeah. they were livid. They were livid. We're going to talk more about the crowd in our awards segment. So the Chiefs come out in the second half. They're able to rally after getting a 59-yard field goal, which, by the way, is a franchise record right before the half. Rally in the second half. They take a 30-29 to lead. And we were watching the game at Johnny's. Mm-hmm. We fully expected the Chiefs to close the game out with the ball. 421 left in the fourth quarter. They got Sky Moore involved. More on him in a second. Uh, but the Chiefs end up stalling out at the Raiders 46 and after taking a little shot play on third down, third and three, that falls incomplete to McCole Hartman. They punt on fourth and three. And the Raiders get this ball back. And they drive to the 46, their own 46. They get back to where the Chiefs punted the ball from in just a couple of plays. And on third and one, 51 seconds left in the game. They're on their own 46. They need to go realistically the way that Daniel Carlson was bombing the ball. They need to go about 
10 yards mm -hmm. to have a chance of kicking the game winning field goal down one. Derek Carr drops a perfect pass to Devontae Adams, should have put the Raiders in field goal range. And that's, we bounced, we yeah. bailed. Yeah. We saw him make that catch and we said, look, we're out of here. And I feel like I don't need to explain myself, but this is how I explained it to a, a friend of my mom's who was here um, visiting the other day. Like for me, if the Chiefs go on to win this game, which they did, uh, it's not going to lessen my enjoyment if I, you know, leave and I check the score. I can always go back and watch the score later. In fact, it may enhance my enjoyment because <laughs> I had given up on this game. Like, as far as I was concerned, I saw Devontae Adams catch the ball. They were in field goal range, and Daniel Carlson was going to make the kick. Conversely, if I had stayed to watch Daniel Carlson make the kick, that would have made me feel infinitely worse than just – I'm washing my hands of it. I'm Rage turning up. If, if I had been sitting in my living room, I would have just turned off my TV, would have taken a walk outside, whatever it would be. Here's the deal. We, you and I, you will never find us telling other people how to fan. We won't exactly. do it. We, exactly we right. will not go on and say, you should be doing this. You shouldn't be doing that. It is a waste of your time. It's a waste of my time. It's a waste of everyone's time. So that being said, do not get all worked up when people a, say the Chiefs are going to lose during the game because they're frustrated. <laughs> B, leave the room or leave the event that they're at watching the game because they can't watch them lose because it upsets them too much or anything related to, you know, this type of activity. Because frankly, we're all processing things in our own ways. We are all, you know, we all fan differently. And just because I can't stand in my soul to watch the Chiefs lose a game, does not mean that I Raiders. like them any the more. Yes, then the to the Raiders on Monday night when the Raiders are one and three and the Chiefs need every win they can get and all these all these things start going through your head and it makes me sick to my stomach to watch that happen. It's like watching a loved one die. Like I I just can't I can't do it. And so I just want to defend this decision. We both unanimously, without any debate, decided the moment Devontae Adams caught that ball, we're out. That's it. We're gonna walk yeah. home. We're we're close enough to Johnny's to my house that. We could just kind of, you know, rage steam our way out of Johnny's. Right. Um, shout out to the lady in the outdoor Johnny's seating area that as we're walking out, she's watching the game and she says, that's not a catch. He doesn't have control. That's not a catch. She's she's talking to everyone around her. I'm no. telling you, they got it wrong. That's not a catch because they're showing this replay over and over again. You're you and I are going in a lady. much more cogent way than she was presenting it because she had imbibed several <laughs> sure. drinks and sure. and. You're right. That was the gist of what she was saying. She had it dead on. I mean, mm -hmm. like, so we made it a couple of blocks. We made it about halfway back to your house. Yeah. And I was like, all right. I mean, at this point, all I'm going to see when I check the score is 32, it's going to say 32, 30 Raiders final. Mm -hmm. And I <laughs> pulled it up on ESPN. I already had the score up because I had been checking it on my phone, just checking the box score. I hit refresh. And it said Patrick Mahomes kneels down for minus one yard. And I was like, oh, my God, Patrick <laughs> Why Mahomes kneel? kneeling down. How did he get the ball? <laughs> we won the game. And then it refreshed and said Chiefs 30, Raiders 29, final score. Oh, my God. We the were Raiders, dancing in the streets. The Raiders Raiders so hard on this play. They had Hunter Renfro. They had Devontae Adams, both of whom have historically cooked the chiefs. Mm -hmm. They kind of both cooked the chiefs on this play. Like <laughs> I think either one of them individually could have made the play to set up the field goal to win. the I game think for they the would have scored a touchdown. They would have scored a touchdown. Potentially. They certainly would have been well within field goal range to win the game. They ran into each other. They mm -hmm. ran into each other. They mm -hmm. hit each other. 
And they fell down, and the ball sails, obviously incomplete. Derek Carr is complaining for a flag, and somebody has to tell him, like, oh, bro, uh, your wide receivers ran into each other. (laughs) It was offensive pass interference on the offense. (laughs) Yeah, right, exactly. They took each other out. Yeah. So all that being said, let's talk about the stats of the game here. And I want to start with the live odds that you could get on the Chiefs winning this game. One of the things that I find really fascinating about, you know, we talk a lot on the show about, win probability and you know that's obviously something you can i mean if you're watching the game on espn the box score whether it's football basketball i'm sure probably baseball they've got like a little graph that shows mm-hmm. like here's a line graph yep here's a little line graph that tells you how likely each team is to win the game based on what has happened to this point how much time is left what the score is etc and i don't have i don't have the win probability for you in this game but the Chiefs live odds. You obviously can live bet on all of this stuff. It's 2022. You can get on an app. You can get odds when the Chiefs are down 17 to nothing. What are the odds that the Chiefs are going to come back and win this game? Mm-hmm. They were plus 130, which is nothing. <laughs> like no. you can't even get money out of the Chiefs when they're down. Like even if I had wanted to go on DraftKings and 17. lay some points, they're down three scores yeah. with with essentially like. 34 minutes left in the game or, or whatever, 39 minutes left in the game, right? Like I, there's no other team in the NFL that is going to give you plus 130, which is not for those of you that don't bet. That's nothing you're not making. You're not making a lot of money off of that bet, right? No. Like you're not, you're not getting anything out of betting that. You no, know, you're basically, not, you're almost doubling your money. Essentially. It's, it's like a coin flip. They're saying, I mean, it's a little bit better than the coin flip, but they're basically saying the Chiefs down 17. Now it's a fair fight. Now, right. you know, the Raiders, have, the Chiefs spotted the Raiders 17. Now we're not sure what's going to happen. It's it's hilarious and unlike any other team in the NFL that would be down 17 at that point where it would be a 98% win probability or whatever it would be. No, no, the Raiders at Chiefs, that's a 17-0. They're just like, huh, this is interesting now. Yeah, it was a... Definitely a funny probability there. And people I saw on my Twitter timeline slammed that plus 130 sure, when they course. were down 17. We've because got a they lot figured... of degenerate gamblers in our timeline, <laughs> and they were all over it. wonder how that happens. Yeah, they, they, and they, they cashed in. So congrats to anyone that any time during that game live bet the Chiefs because you, uh, you did you did good work. We've got uh, our second set of the game here, second and final this week. I, I came up with two. Uh, this is why. The odds were what they were. Okay, this is from our friend Tom Childs at, over at Arrowhead uh, Pride. Shout out to him. Uh, Patrick Mahomes does not lose games, even when he's down by double digits. And so uh, what better way to illustrate this than the following graph? Uh, Patrick Mahomes winning percentage overall for his career, uh, 794. So that's uh, 79.4%. Poor Tom. Uh, had a problem with the decimals and the percentage signs, and he had to, you know, make a comment about how he's never wanted an edit button more because he had statisticians coming after him. But we knew what you meant, Tom. Seven ninety four winning percentage for Patrick Mahomes, seventy four point nine or seventy nine point four percent of the time overall. He wins eighty percent of his games, folks. That's pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, Tom Brady, the goat, seven six two. Okay, so Patrick Not Mahomes wins more games in his career than Tom Brady. That guy is literally the greatest football player of all time. Yeah, pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, Josh Allen, the new hotness coming to Arrowhead uh, this weekend, 65.2%. That's his winning percentage, 0.652. I, I mean, you know, that's, that's really good. Pretty, 65% of the time in any yeah. given Sunday. You know, it's hard to win games in the National Football League. That's, that's Two out of three that's games, yep. Uh, 
Okay, so the next one here is Patrick Mahomes when he's down by 10 points or more at any point in the game. 571, 57% of the time when you spot him two when you, you spot him two scores, you put him down two scores, you put him in adversity, he, he still wins you. 57% of the time. That's preposterous. Yeah, okay? that, that's that's impossible. That's ridiculous. You know why? Because Justin Herbert's career winning percentage in every game is 486. And Derek <laughs> Carr's winning percentage for his entire career is 438. Patrick oh. Mahomes with a 10-point deficit is like 10 points above Derek Carr. He's 14 points higher than Derek Carr. That He's winning games 14% more often yeah. just when he's down by 10 or more, which he was in this game, and he won. Yeah, he has already proven, and we've talked about his comeback ability in several different lights. Being down 10 is just one of the many ways to uh, skin this cat. But uh, he's already shown that as things get more difficult in the game situation, he gets better. That That's as goat of a trait as you could ever ask in any sport, in any competition. You know, it, all you want is for the, the big moments, for your big players to step up in big moments. And... As situations get dire, Patrick Mahomes reaches down into himself and finds something that he doesn't even have when the game is in a normal circumstance. It's it's insane, and we're just so lucky every time we see it, every time, because this was another, this was his second. He is actually, this was a great one too. He's been down 17 to nothing three times in his career, ever, <laughs> and he won two of those games. That's ridiculous. I mean, it's preposterous. He is, he's become the greatest comeback player in the history of the NFL, and he's playing in his fifth season. And I mean, it's just outrageous. So we've got another recurring segment here. Uh -huh. That's kind of your baby. You created it, you control it. I'm going to kick it over to you for the Chiefs system. So the Chiefs system, for anyone that has been listening the last couple of weeks, is is just a way to classify some events in the game that always seem to go the same way for the chiefs and the chief system is a play on the dentist system from always sunny and it's an acronym that stands for create drama handle adversity inspire hope engage physically finish strong separate entirely so in my breakdown of the chiefs raiders game we had the create drama plenty of that to go around oh my we'll, god too much we'll, too much drama. We'll give that. We'll give the Chiefs creating drama to the Devontae Adams 58-yard touchdown on fourth and one. Um, that was right away the Raiders started with a bang and scored. Uh, the offense stalled out with a punt, a missed field goal, and a punt. Got themselves in the 17-0 hole. Drama created. Check. But then the H is handle adversity. So the first touchdown drive of the game for the Chiefs, they converted on their first two third downs of the game after going 0-3 for their first three third downs on the previous three drives. and. It was third and goal to Kelsey. Mahomes finds him pretty easily in the back of the end zone. 7-17, to 17, game on, adversity handled. Everyone at that point, when the lead was cut to 10, just kind of big monkey off the back realized. Like, yeah, okay. it felt like the Houston playoff game. That's, yes. That's what we, a lot of, we were not the only people to make this observation. No. But when you're down in a big hole, which coincidentally was the other 17 and nothing deficit that Mahomes erased and won the game, yes. it felt like the Chiefs – you know, open the door with that, yes. with that play. Yes. And obviously Travis Kelsey playing a huge role in both games, scoring three touchdowns against Houston and four against the Raiders. Uh, so th uh, third and gold, Kelsey, boom, seven to 17. Everyone feels it. And then inspiring hope uh, really at the first moment that 
uh, I think a lot of Chiefs fans really were inspired was a Matt Wright franchise record. We mentioned this earlier. 59-yard field goal at the halftime gun as Arrowhead was raining booze down on Carl Sheffers and anyone else that would listen to them. Um, You know, Matt Wright is a guy that stepped in after Matt Amendola completely shit the bed, uh, to say the least. And then he shanked a field goal in the second drive of the game, 41 yards. Everyone was not feeling great about him. The Chiefs marched down the field in a couple seconds. They got the ball back with 17 seconds left um, after the Raiders' end of half drive or end of half field goal, and they got to within range, uh, thanks in part to a ridiculously dumb, I mean, dumb as in stupid, not dumb as in bad, uh, face mask call on the Raiders where the Chiefs, all they needed was yardage and time, and they stopped the clock for the Chiefs and gave them yardage. That was a horrible Raiders decision by them. Uh, and then, so that insp- inspiration of hope on the 59-yard field goal, that kind of continued into the second half. The Chiefs ended up stringing together five straight scoring drives, four touchdowns and a field goal, took the 30-23 to lead. Hope officially inspired. And then we get to the E, the engage physically. I'm going to grant this to the jerk McKinnon 30 yard run on second and 17. What a choice. Absolute just man run. I mean, he is carrying basically the entire Raiders defense on his back for several yards after the first down marker. I mean, this was, you know, a a little handoff on second and 17 is, is something that you and I have just raged about in several times basically giving up on the whole drive a whole drive it's punting on second down basically is what you're doing especially with an offense like the chiefs you have you have just given up when you hand that ball off but Jarek mckinnon had other ideas and he sprung around the left side um our uh, orlando brown who has gotten a lot of uh of flack recently sprung a really really nice block on this run leveled a couple Raiders and McKinnon next thing you know he's bounded for 30 yards and that was a very um just a very relieving play because the Chiefs then instead of being way behind the sticks on third and 15 or whatever you know they're, they're moving the ball so uh Mahomes also engaged physically protected much much better in the second half than he was in the first he called out the offensive line to kind of get their shit together and he said if we're gonna either lose this game or win this game because of you guys and they responded to it and that was uh that was all part of the engage physically mentality there the f finished strong after the second long Devonte adams touchdown the defense stepped up huge to finish strong and stuff Josh Jacobs on the two point conversion, what would end up being the game winning play uh, the way the rest of the game played out. But that was one where, you know, Jacobs had a career high in rushing. He was running all over the chiefs all night. One carries for 154 yards in this 154 game. yards. He was, he was just ripping them and, and 7.8 yards a pop. I mean, he was destroyed the, the Broncos last week. I mean, yes, exactly. 7.3 yards a pop. Yeah. He was, uh, he was very, very, very good. And, they handed it off to him. It was a little inside zone handoff. Maybe, you know, the the Kelsey brothers, shout out to New Heights podcast, which is incredible. But um, Travis was saying that, you know, he agreed with the decision there to go for two. He did not agree with the play call of an inside run. He thought inside zone. He thought that that was maybe a little too predictable or just not a great, uh, not McDaniel's finest play around the goal line. But um, that was certainly a way to finish strong there on the stuff of Josh Jacobs. And then separate entirely. Of course, it involves two players that couldn't separate entirely from each other. Oof. And that is Hunter Renfro yeah. and Devonte Adams. Hunter Renfro makes the play of the night for the chiefs defense, taking out Devonte Adams. Now you said that 
the two players ran into each other. I think upon looking at that, you know, Renfro was the guy that yeah, cut. Hunter Renfro ran into Devontae. Adams. He definitely took him out there and, yeah, and yeah, completely no, was, ruined the night for the Raiders. So that separated entirely. Of course, when you uh when you win the game by one and you kneel down on the final play of the game, it's you usually don't have a lot of room to separate entirely. But that was the way the Chiefs separated themselves from the Raiders. That is the Chiefs system. It was quite the evening for the boys in red. Let's skip on over to our awards segment. Now, for those of you that are not familiar, this is another always sunny in Philadelphia themed segment. It involves three categories. There's the five star men. Exactly what it sounds like. These are men that, you know, scream by their play. I'm a five star man. Five out of five stars for those men. You have the trash men. I'm the trash man. I come out, I throw trash all over the, all over the ring, and then I start eating garbage. These are the players that go on the field and just start eating garbage through their play. Um, they they're trash men. They're bad. They're not they're not good performers. And then finally, you have the wild cards. Wild card bitches! Yeah! And the wild cards are up and down. They're capable of anything, right? We typically choose one each in each category but mm -hmm. sometimes we've been the rules and we have a few more five-star men than usual this week i'm going to kick it off with the five-star men and i'm not choosing a player sometimes we've been those rules as well i'm choosing the entirety of this arrowhead crowd <sighs> we've already talked about it we've talked about how unbelievably loud arrowhead was you could hear it on the broadcast which is hard to do like if you i watch a lot of nfl games right sure. and like it's incredibly rare it's so hard to like overstate how rare it is to hear how loud the crowd is on the broadcast like where they have to account for the crowd on the television broadcast of the game while it's happening and this is a regular season game now it's a primetime game but like this is a regular season game yeah the crowd was absolutely, I mean, they were on fire after that roughing the passer call by Carl Jeffers to the point where they really created an implication of danger. And because of the implication, <laughs> Carl Jeffers was shook in this game. He literally, the next penalty that he called, the next time he went out in front of that crowd and put on the mic, he literally was like visibly shaking and his voice was like quavering. He was literally afraid to call penalties on the Chiefs because of the crowd. Now, there I would no never <laughs> Yeah, I would never condone violence towards the referees. But listen, the implication of violence towards the referees, that's valuable. Okay? I mean, listen, that's they're out in the middle of nowhere with some dudes they barely know. You know, they look around. The whole what stadium of dudes they barely even know. Nothing. What are they gonna do? Stadium. Throw a flag? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, how could they? They can't say no. They can't say that's a penalty because they don't know what's going to happen, right? Like they're in a completely hostile environment and the implication of danger towards the referees in this game played a huge role in the now, second half of this game. I mean, the Chiefs got not one makeup call, but really like six or seven makeup calls in a row in this game. And I would not suggest that the game was not fairly officiated. The, the game was poorly officiated, but because of the crowd reaction to that one singular play, the Chiefs benefited tremendously from that for almost the entirety of the rest of the game. 
because the referees were so incredibly shook because of the implication. But it sounds like he doesn't want to throw a flag on the Chiefs. (laughs) Who's your first nomination? (laughs) So my first five-star of many, uh, Chris Jones is now great pick. PFF, cue the groans, highest graded defensive player of the season at any position. That seems good. Chris Jones has had himself a career year for a guy that has had a good career, a great career. And and he's just been terrorizing the interior of of offensive lines all year. Clearly, he was on one on Monday night, was, was in the backfield, had another absolute blatant hold that they didn't call late in the game on him. And he ran right after the ref on that one too, which was some more implication of danger there. Um, Chris Jones was, was just a monster and he continues to be a absolute linchpin of the chiefs defense moving forward. Um, We've got, we've got several. Do you want to, you want to, you want to double dip and then I'll wrap back around to me. We'll snake back around to me. Like, (laughs) so Travis Kelsey, we have mentioned him several times. Four tuds for the big guy. Uh, third mean, chief ever lyrics. with four touchdowns, joining Frank Jackson in 1964, Jamal Charles in 2013, also against the Raiders, and Travis Kelsey on Monday night. The Chiefs also become the first franchise to have two players with four touchdowns against the same franchise. They're the <laughs> only team, and Kelsey and uh, Jamal Charles are are responsible for that. So shout out to Chiefs v. Raiders there. Big Yeti was, was just... He, he didn't have his biggest yardage game. They Josh McDaniel said in the halftime interview that their entire focus for this game on defense was stopping Travis Kelsey. And I know that they did a good job between the 20s, but you got to finish the job, Raiders defense. And when a guy catches four tuds against you, you did not stop him. Travis Kelsey was a man. Yeah, Jason gave him a lot of shit on the uh, on the New Heights podcast this week, and essentially called him out for doing none of the work but taking all the glory. Yeah, like if you like have twenty five yards and four touchdowns, you're basically just showing up, you know, in the end zone, <laughs> taking credit for that. Uh, but obviously, Travis was working his ass off between yeah. the twenties, not seeing a lot of of results. But this was a this was a good game because I think it is a preview for how teams want to play against Travis Kelsey and it worked between the twenties. It opened things up for other guys, but the way that Mm -hmm. they were chipping him and the way that they were covering him between the twenties, you know, led to a quieter game than usual for Travis between the twenties, but a historic performance for him in the red zone. And I I pointed this out on Twitter, Travis Kelsey's already up to seven touchdowns through five games. His career high is 11. He has 11 games left to score four touchdowns. 12 to 17 games, baby. Yeah, exactly. To, to get to his career high. Right. Exactly. 12, 12 more games to score four touchdowns to tie his career high. He's going to shatter. I mean, like Rob Gronkowski has the single season tight end touchdown receiving record. It's 17. Yeah. I mean, like you can get to that by December. he's, He's within reach of that record. And boy, I really hope he gets it because, uh, there's been a lot of Rob Gronkowski discourse. All I got to say about that is what's Rob Gronkowski up to right now? He's retired oh. again. Ooh. Travis Kelsey still an all pro uh, Marquez Valdez Cantling is my second five-star man, six catches for 90 yards. This really was like his first kind of breakout game. Uh, he had 11 yards on a second and 10 for a first 18 yards on a third and 10, 23 yards on a third and eight catches of 14 and 16 yards on first downs. I mean, like, we saw it the first four weeks of the season. Like they were so close 
to hitting on plays to MVS. And either Mahomes would be a little bit off or MVS would be a little bit off. He's had some consistency issues catching the ball throughout his career, but everything was clicking in this game. And I mean, this was this was a great performance. I mean, he looked like a wide receiver one out there. And this is not a guy that you really expected to necessarily carry the offense, carry the passing Agreed. game, but he was awesome on Monday night. So MVS is interesting because my perception of him coming into his Chiefs career was just a deep ball guy because that's really what I saw most of in Green Bay. Deep balls was, and screens. Was just deep balls and screens where he would use his speed. He would either run the straight line or they'd get it to him right away and see what he could do. But but certainly not a guy that you would go out there and look for on third down, look for, for mid, big. Not a mid-range jumper guy. Not a mid-range jumper guy. Not a guy that's going to get you the, the dirty yards and stuff like that. But he was running the entire route tree. He can do everything. He can do the whole the whole range of stuff that Andy Reid and the Chiefs need from wide receivers. And, I mean, you know, for a team that desperately just needed playmaking out of the wide receiver room after the departure of Tyreek Hill, man, I mean, this was a this was a sight for sore eyes. And let's also shout out for our last five-star man, McCole Hardman, who had a 28-yard catch on third and eight, a 36-yard catch on third and 15, both of those drives ended in touchdowns, so if they hadn't converted those third downs, they would have been in trouble. Four catches on five targets for 73 yards. The one catch that he didn't get that he was targeted on, to me, was more of a Mahomes mistake than a, mistake than a Hardman mistake, which was the big final drive for the Chiefs offense where on third and three Mahomes went deep to Hardman. Right. It just, it was just a bad idea to go deep there. And clearly the two weren't on the same page, but in general Hardman for having his heel issue and for really being a guy that everybody's been making fun of for not really doing anything on offense. He had had nothing the last two weeks on offense really, really came through with two gigantic catches when the chiefs needed them. Let's talk about the trash men. And, uh, this is a segment that rarely brings us any joy, but it's it's uh, it's something we have to talk about. We have to talk about the players who aren't performing. It's part of our job as sports media personalities, <laughs> you know, to give these guys a kick in the ass. Yeah. And for me, my my trash man, unfortunately, is a, a guy who has been having a great season, really a career best season. He's shown some incredible flashes this year, some career long rushes. You know, he's been dominating in touchdowns. He's been a fantasy force for the first time ever in his career. Not that that matters to us, but it means that he's doing good things like catching the ball and scoring touchdowns. Clyde Edwards-Alaire, uh, 15 yards on nine carries. It's just, it's not going to cut it. I mean, like, no. Jarek McKinnon, you know, you don't want to run Jarek McKinnon between the tackles. But, <laughs> I, I mean, the the zone runs, the outside runs, you can't run those with Clyde, Clyde Edwards-Alaire. You can't do it. He's not fast enough he really is he looks better when he's kind of going between the tackles and you know the Chiefs still utilized him in the past game in this game he looked fine there but this is the second game in in three weeks that he's been erased he was invisible in the run game against the Colts and the Raiders did a lot of the same things and just completely shut him down he obviously had a really nice performance last week against the Bucks with a very tough run defense but this was uh this was not an inspiring performance. Definite trash man for Clyde. No, and it's the second week in a row that a connection between Pat and Clyde out of the backfield has gone horribly awry. He dropped the fourth down one that was an easy touchdown against the Bucks, And then this one just had a ball hit him in the back of the helmet that clearly, you know, yeah. I guess that could have been on Pat, but um, yeah. what, you, whatever. you, you yeah, would hope yeah. that Clyde could uh, turn around and snag that yeah. one. So mine's going to be Juju. Three catches on eight targets for only 13 yards? Like, 
this is the guy. This is the guy that you brought in to to be the big number one wide receiver. I mean, right now, MVS is the wide receiver one, right? On the team? Uh, Yeah. I mean, unquestionably. I think. I think so. And I think, you know, like we assumed uh, once Tyreek got traded, which happened shortly after the Juju signing, like within a couple of days, that Juju was going to be the guy based on his pedigree, because based on his pedigree, he's clearly the best wide receiver in this room. But, you know, the Chiefs gave Marquez Valdez-Scanling a three-year contract and they gave Juju a one-year contract. That's a great point. And... You know, I don't know that that necessarily I mean, I think it says a little bit about Juju's market. It says something about his health the last couple of years. But like at the end of the day, they gave MVS more money. And right now, MVS looks like the number one wide receiver and Juju looks like, you know, the second or third option. I mean, realistically, the last couple of weeks when McCole Hardman's been healthy, it feels like McCole Hardman is running ahead of Juju in this offense, which is weird. I mean, it's bizarre. Yes, it is concerning. Juju ain't making himself any money right now. That's for sure. No, he's not. Let's go to our wild cards and I'll start off with, uh, I made a promise to uh, our bird of war, uh, Casey Sordorican. That uh, Hunter Renfro would be one of our wild cards in this game. I mean, honorary wild card, obviously not a chiefs player, but, uh, but boy, uh, he got open and he was uh, capable of anything. <laughs> he's certainly as capable of anything, including destroying Devonte Adams down the field. Uh, I don't know how that route was necessarily designed, uh, but it was not designed for the two of them to run into each other. I mean, literally like it's, it's so it's so Raiders. It's yeah. So Raiders. It's well, and don't classic, forget that Renfro, you know, caught the ball on first and 10 or maybe second and 10 that could have, you know, potentially gotten a first down, but he only got nine out of it. That's what led to the third down throw to Adams. That was incomplete. The fourth down throw that was incomplete. Like if, if third and Renfro had picked up a first down there, uh, things might've been different, Hmm. but they weren't. Who's your guy, Uh, Matt, Wright. Sure. As, as wild card of a performance as a kicker as you'll ever see missed from 41 Missed from 35, but got bailed out on a correct call on a defensive hold. Yes, and I don't know if you saw the the four breakdowns of the the, film. I mean, yeah, literally they were doing it the whole game and they finally got called for it. Yeah, they were clearly, Koontz was clearly coached to do this and the refs finally were like, hey, buddy, (laughs) we're going to go ahead and flag you on that. And we let you do this three times previously. And let's not Uh -uh. forget. A defensive hold is an automatic first down, so this was not the refs waiting for the Chiefs to miss. Number one, you can see the flag come out before from the ref that's not looking at the kick. Number two, if on the previous kick that was missed from 41 or extra points that were made or whatever, you know, those those defensive holds are automatic first downs. So calm down, Raiders fans. But Matt Wright makes a 59 franchise record, Arrowhead Stadium record, no even opposing kickers ever made a four, uh, 59 in Arrowhead, and... Misses chip shots, uh, made some extra points look a little, uh, a little, little dicey. dicey. Yeah, a so little can't little, wait for Harrison Bucker to come back. Yeah, a little, little snug there. I have one more wild card. It's Sky Moore, and I'm excited to talk about Sky Moore. The wild cards are not always players that we're excited to talk about. In this case, I am because Sky Moore was invisible in this game, as he has been for much of the season until. The very last drive of the game, where again, the Chiefs didn't end up converting, but they had a four-minute offense with a one-point lead. And what the Chiefs were trying to do on this drive was, at you know, worst-case scenario, go down and put three more points on the board. Best-case scenario, keep the ball for four minutes and or score a touchdown at the very end and kick it back to the Raiders with like 10 seconds left on the clock. I mean, they were trying to end the game on this drive. And 
two of the first three plays on this drive. First, first of all, they let Sky Moore back there to return. He had a nice little return for 16 or 17 yards on the yeah. punt from the Raiders. And then, and then they come out and they target Sky Moore on these design plays, two out of the first three plays of this drive, this critical drive in the four-minute offense, two catches for 15 yards. And it was the same play. They ran it twice, just a little wide receiver screen, but they clearly had it designed for Sky Moore. So listen, we've heard that sky is going to get more touches in this offense. And I know we as fans have been clamoring for it. We've been wanting to see it. This is it. I mean, you do not put him out in that situation. If you don't have confidence in the guy, because this was the game, like you're trying to ice the game away. They had to have a ton of confidence to put him into that situation, to give him the ball twice when they hadn't done it the whole game, you know, in the four minute offense, trying to run out the clock and win the game have to have confidence in the guy to do that. And they, they clearly had a plan for him to do that in that situation. Now, obviously he's a wild card because that was, that was the only time he showed up in the game. Yeah. But you know, I, I feel really good about seeing him in that situation because you can't, you cannot put him in, in that situation. If you don't have some confidence in him, they clearly had a plan for him and you know, he performed. I mean, they were both great plays. He got a little bit of extra yardage. He held onto the ball. He did exactly what he was supposed to do in that situation. And so, you know, I'm really excited for, what that's going to look like six or 10 weeks from now with Sky Moore. NFL action is in full swing at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. We're talking touchdowns, big plays, and even bigger wins. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. Check this out. In addition to usual bets, everyone can boost their winnings with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. To make things even sweeter, you can throw down on stepped-up same-game parlays once per game day all season long. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code TPPN to get $200 in free bets if your team wins when you place a $5 bet on any football game. That's code TPPN, only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Well, Taylor, let's preview the game of the year. Is that an exact? Yeah, game of the year in the NFL. I mean, this is somehow not a primetime game, but hold up. Hold up, hold up. CBS protected this, and it is essentially a primetime game because there's only one other game in the afternoon slot. Uh, like 98% of the country is going to see this game. If you're watching football on Sunday afternoon, you're going to see Bills at Chiefs. Josh Allen and the boys are coming to town. They beat the Chiefs in Arrowhead last year, but they have fallen to the Chiefs twice in the playoffs at Arrowhead each of the last two seasons. They have ended their season at Arrowhead Stadium in losses to the Chiefs in January. Chiefs are two-and-a-half-point dogs in this game, which obviously is not a considerable amount. I mean, the general rule of thumb is that Vegas is going to give the home team three points, but the Chiefs are home dogs. And that is the first time in Patrick Mahomes' NFL career ever, five years, that he has been a home underdog. Is that fair? Is, Is that legit? I think it is. I I think given the makeup of both of these teams and the way that the Bills are playing, I would have probably given the Bills a point or two if I were handicapping this line. It's close, um, but I I agree with the the Vegas line. I think it is close, and it it obviously – you think about all the teams that have come to Arrowhead over the past – 
four yeah. or five years in with his Patrick career. Mahomes as the, the quarterback. Now that this doesn't include obviously the the couple of games that Matt Moore started. You know, Aaron Rodgers was favored <laughs> over Matt Moore. Of course. A couple of games that Patrick Mahomes missed in twenty nineteen. But it includes Tom Brady coming to Arrowhead mm-hmm. for the AFC championship game in Mahomes' rookie year. Mm-hmm. You know, it includes uh Josh Allen the the last time the Bills came to Arrowhead. It includes Josh Allen when he was here a couple of years ago at the head of a, a really scary Bills team. You know, it includes Joe Burrow. Um, you know, stuff happens. Yeah, Herbert, um, Herbert. You know, it Lamar. Includes, it includes Lamar. It includes a host of really good quarterbacks, right? And I think it's a measure of how people feel about this bills team and you know listen the bills are four and one the chiefs are four and one but i think people continue to tout the bills as the best team in the afc and you know we're going to see an interesting game on sunday the bills are four and one they're first overall in dvoa the uh, stat that we like to uh, put on the show from football outsiders just a measure team efficiency the bills are the seventh rated offense by dvoa they're second on defense and they're eighth on special teams they're good at everything and they have you know whether you think he's better than mahomes which we obviously don't or not josh allen is a top three quarterback in the nfl you know i i I don't think there's any serious person that would rank josh allen any lower than maybe third yeah, I agree. And and third even feels like, well, who are you doing after? Sure. You know, right. Mahomes is obviously Tom, up Tom there. Brady legacy pick. Yeah, I guess so. But I mean, certainly Aaron Rodgers right. legacy pick. Exactly. Josh like, Allen is playing as good of football as you could ask for from a starting quarterback. He's unbelievable. Um, the Bills also have had two close games, one two point win, one th- or sorry, one two point loss, one three point win, but then three absolute ass kickings. Yeah. Where they obviously uh, shredded love, love the Rams on the first game of the year. Everyone saw that 20 point win, 31 10. But then they ripped apart the Titans the next week, 41 to 7. And they're coming off of a home game against the Steelers that they won 38 to 3. Now, that was against Kenny Pickett, but that is a total score of those three games of 110 to 20. And yeah. that's the strength of their their rankings, their statistics, they're off. I mean, you know, they, they didn't do much special in the two games against the Dolphins and the Ravens, which were both road games, as this Chiefs game will be for them. Uh, but they certainly know how to take care of business when the game script kind of starts getting away from the other team. They step on the throats of weak teams. That's something that, frankly, I wish the Chiefs would do. I, I wish that the Chiefs would have more games against weaker competition where they blew the doors off of them. That doesn't seem to be the Chiefs' MO, but... um I sure. really think this Bills team can execute, and they're very stout on both ends of the ball. Um, there, there's a reason this game is is a, a Bills favored in Arrowhead. They're very, very, very good. They are, and we mentioned Chiefs also four and one. They're currently eighth in DVOA. That includes third on offense, uh, but they are first in basically every other offensive efficiency metric other than DVOA. Whether you do points per drive, EPA per play, uh, and that takes out you know special teams play you know where the chiefs would be putting up even more points for drive if they had you know an efficient kicker that wasn't missing kicks all over the place chiefs are 15th currently on defense and 20th on special teams so you know we'll talk about that maybe at the end as an x factor but let's talk about when the chiefs have the ball chiefs are the third ranked offense that includes fourth in passing dvoa and 19th in rushing dvoa the reason that the chiefs are third overall despite being fourth in the past and 19th in rush you would think that that one of those numbers would have to be higher is because passing is more efficient than rushing and so even though the chiefs are only fourth in passing efficiency 
And this again is by DVOA, because if you look at things like EPA per play, the Chiefs are number one, and it frankly is not even that close. Right. The Chiefs are passing the ball so much. They are such a pass-centric offense, and that includes the most meaningful times to pass, which are on early down situations. The Chiefs are passing so much that they're the third-ranked offense, even despite being fourth in efficiency by this metric. Uh, but the Bills are excellent on defense, both against the run and the pass. They're sixth in uh, defensive efficiency against the pass. They are third in defensive efficiency against the run. So it's not like the Bills have an obvious weakness to attack here. No, they really don't. I mean, that's been that's been the question is, you know, they've they they seem to be able to do everything. They really, I guess, running the ball on offense is their one weakness, but they have one of the probably the second best rushing quarterback in the NFL. So they certainly don't appear to have anything that you say, aha, we can attack that the way that pretty much every other team in the NFL does. They obviously made a big addition this offseason in Von Miller and paid him a ton of money to coax him away from the West Coast <laughs> and the sunshine and the Super Bowl ring in Los Angeles to come out and play in Buffalo, New York. Uh, Von Miller's obviously had a huge impact for the Bills. He came out this week in a presser and more or less admitted that former Chief Mitchell Schwartz, uh, who, who, by the way, never allowed a sack uh, by Von Miller on Patrick Mahomes ever, in, in the several seasons that he was here. Uh, basically, Vaughn came out and admitted that Mitchell Schwartz was his dad. He didn't use those exact words, but he said <laughs> that Mitch, Mitch was the toughest lineman he's ever faced, which is obviously crazy uh, for a guy that's had the career that, that Vaughn's had. He, he then went on to call Orlando Brown Jr. and Andrew Wiley, quote, great players. And ah, that makes me yeah. a little bit nervous because, yes. uh, you know, Tom Brady's talked about this famously. He's mm-hmm. like, you know, the... The more I, I talk nicely about a guy and, you know, he, he can tell the truth about Mitchell Schwartz. Mitchell Schwartz is happily in retirement. He can yeah. he can cause Vaughn no more pain right now. Right. <laughs> like the stuff of nightmares. He's not having nightmares about Mitchell Schwartz this week because Mitch is happily in retirement. But <laughs> Orlando Brown Jr. and Andrew Wiley. I think calling them great players is a stretch, and I feel like it's a little bit of a cue. You know, obviously, we saw uh, the Buccaneers, Shaq Barrett take the opposite approach and basically call them out and call them trash. Vaughn mm-hmm. is doing the much more sneaky approach, which is he's like, I'm, I'm going to hype these guys up and then I'm going to massacre them on Sunday. <laughs> well, Vaughn's a good dude. And, and that's the type of vibe that he wants to give off there as I'm everyone's friend and nobody worry about me. I'm going to come out there and chuckle with you and have a good time. <laughs> and then he's just going to rip your head off. So, I mean, yeah, that's, that's everything I expected Von Miller to say about this matchup. Um, and I'm extremely worried about him. I think Von Miller, I wished that he was washed when uh, the Bills signed him. He clearly is not. He clearly is an absolute force. And I'm I'm very worried about that matchup with those tackles against him. Yeah, on the plus side, the uh, Bills are still missing star cornerback Tredavious White. He's out this week. He continues to progress towards a return from injury. But, I mean, we we gave you the numbers. This defense has been great without Tredavious White. Uh, this will be, I think, the toughest test the Chiefs have faced defensively this year. You know, the only other team that you could even put in the conversation, really, from a defensive standpoint, is the Bucks. Yeah. Obviously, the Chiefs performed very well against the Buccaneers. But I found this interesting. The Chiefs are actually facing the highest rate of man coverage this year of any team in the league. So they have faced 43% man coverage. And... On the flip side, Miami, which uh, now owns the rights to Tyree Kill, uh, suits him up on Sundays, has faced the third most zone coverage. So 
obviously the Chiefs were facing a lot more zone when they had Tyreek on the team to sort of take away the big plays, right? Uh, but the Chiefs now are facing a lot more man coverage and even without Tyreek Hill are, are actually still shredding man coverage. They're still beating man coverage at a high rate. Now they also shred zone coverage to be clear. Right. They're, they're, they're good against both. They've figured out how to play against both, but can the bills slow the chiefs down? We saw obviously the 13 seconds game in the playoffs last year. That to me was like really the chiefs final form. Obviously they regressed <laughs> and something weird happened against you know, the Bengals the following week in the second half of that game. But that was the game where like it came out. We heard Patrick Mahomes, obviously famously in that game, didn't throw a, a pass further than like 15 yards down the field, that entire game. Yeah. And the chiefs put up 40 points on the number one defense last year in the, in the bills. Do the bills have any tricks this year, other than the aforementioned addition of Von Miller, who can obviously wreck a game. I mean, you have to think about the motivation that Leslie Frazier and the Bills defensive staff and, yeah. and players have for this game. Yeah. I don't know if the if everyone was robots and they just simulated this game, I'm not sure the Bills could stop the Chiefs. But they're not robots. They are thinking about ways to beat the Chiefs every night for the past eight months. Every single I mean they've 13 seconds is going to haunt the Bills. It's going to be what they all remember for the rest of their lives. And they know that the reason that that happened was the Kansas City Chiefs. They have called the Chiefs their mountain to climb. They have said that if we want to be serious about being title contenders, that's the team we need to beat. That's the building we need to beat them in. That is, this is their main test. And so I worry that that intensity can't really be matched by the Chiefs. No matter what the Chiefs do, no matter how they... Sure motivate themselves no matter what they tell themselves about the importance of the game when someone rips your heart out it it unlocks this animal instinct and the fact that the bills are going to come into this matchup having you know it think back to chiefs bucks it's the same thing the yes. chiefs went into that matchup and yeah. they they just bullied the bucks because right. they had been thinking about it for over a year and you just can't replicate that type of motivation so so yes on paper i do think that the bills don't match up. No one matches up well with the Chiefs. No one you could say, oh, yeah, I could really see them slowing them down. Mahomes is 8-1 and one all time versus the number one scoring defense in the NFL. He knows how to get point, put points up on the board against the best defenses that the league can offer. It's really more of this kind of energy, motivation, mindset type of thing that I just don't know how the Chiefs are going to go out there and match them. I hope they can. I hope they do. But I don't know how they can. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And obviously the Chiefs, you know, their motivation with the Buccaneers was they lost a Super Bowl to the Buccaneers. Yeah. But it wasn't like they played it wasn't it was just one game. And it was a game that had happened two years ago. Yeah. Right? Like it was the biggest game of the year. The yeah. Chiefs got embarrassed. It was the Super Bowl, right? Like a lot of different I'm not saying the Chiefs now. had a lot of motivation going into that game in Tampa, to be clear. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that they didn't. Mm -hmm. I feel like the Bills almost have more motivation having lost to the Certainly. Chiefs twice in a row in the playoffs, yeah. like we've ended their season two years in a row, two consecutive years. I mean, yeah. 13 seconds was less than a calendar year ago. That was nine months, nine months ago. Yeah. All right. It's still very raw. And the way that the chiefs beat the bills, like there's basically two kinds of heartache, right? <laughs> 
and the Chiefs have dealt them both to the Buffalo Bills. Yeah. And two years ago in the playoffs, the Bills were riding high. Josh Allen was ascendant. You know, it's like this guy is the second best quarterback in the NFL. He's coming into Arrowhead. He's playing better than Patrick Mahomes right now. They're going to take down, you know, the the, the champs, like mm-hmm. the, the the team to beat, Patrick Mahomes. Mm-hmm. The Chiefs blew them out. Yeah. And then after spotting them nine, too. After I mean, they spotting them nine, they clowned them. Yeah. They clowned them. They beat the hell out of them. And this was the defending. The Chiefs were the defending champions. They showed everybody why they were the champs. They blew them out. Last year, the Bills were going to the AFC Championship game and by extension, the Super Bowl mm-hmm. with 13 mm-hmm. seconds left on the clock. They just ripped their hearts out. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, I, I think that. And, and we can talk about, I mean, we're going to talk about the other side of the ball. The other side of the ball, it, it is what it is, right? The Chiefs are 19th against the pass. They're eighth against the run. The Bills can't run the ball. They're 30th in rushing DVOA. Yeah. So they're third in passing DVOA. They're going to throw in this game, and Josh Allen is going to run the ball. And I think you're right. Like, I just think it comes down to how badly do the Chiefs want to win this game? And this is an important game in the standings. I get that it's week six. Both of these teams are four and one. You know, it looks like the AFC, the one seed, the bye, the single bye is wide open. But at the same time, you know, the Chiefs lost to these Bills last year and then beat them in the playoffs. And, and hosted think, the playoffs, had a better seed hosted, than them in the playoffs. Hosted the playoffs and beat them at Arrowhead. And granted, it took a miracle <laughs> to beat them in the playoffs. But I think we could maybe see a repeat of that. I obviously hope that the Chiefs win this game. I do worry about them being able to match the intensity. And, you know, the Chiefs are coming off of two pretty intense games in a row. I mean, really three, if you're going back to, I mean, hell, really all of them since week one. And even week one, that was the first game of the season, right? Like you had a Thursday night football game against the Chargers, who's a division rival. You lost a game to the Colts which yeah. wouldn't have been, you know, like the level of intensity there, that would have been a, a break. And maybe it was a break because the Chiefs didn't win that game. They didn't compete, right? right? They should right. not have lost to that Colts team. They go to Tampa to play this Super Bowl rematch. They're mad as hell. They want to get the win there. And then they have to play their division rival, uh, which is a cornered animal, you know, a team that's mm-hmm. one and three and desperate mm-hmm. for a win on Monday Night Football in prime yeah. time. And yeah. now we have to play the Bills? Are you kidding, are you kidding me? <laughs> we like, talked, I just don't know how the Chiefs could possibly match the Bills' level of intensity in this game. Yeah, we talked about the schedule, obviously, when it was released, that this opening stretch is just murderous. And the the fact that the Bills have been have had this game circled, they really haven't had a test. They had one test in the middle, you know, or I guess the Ravens-Dolphins back-to-back. They lost one, and they had to come back from 17 on the other one. That was a big test for them. But then last week against the Steelers, they coasted, and they've been they've had the Chiefs on their in their sights for a long time. And, you know, the, the deep ball from Josh Allen is terrifying because not yes. only does he lead the NFL in completed air yards at 935, and the next highest is Geno Smith at 840, but, I mean, he has 100 more yeah, completed yeah. air yards than anyone else in football. And the Chiefs, as they showed with Devontae Adams, Derek Carr isn't, I mean, he's not Josh Allen. He's not Josh Allen. He's not and, Josh Allen. you know, he th- he dropped in a couple bombs on the Chiefs. It just, I worry that the, the Bills are going to wait for the Chiefs to make a coverage mistake. I will say, though, it, it helps that Dan Sorensen's not playing in this game. He was a huge yeah. secondary contributor in both games against the Bills last year. Number one, the first one, when he was still starting in the second one because Tyron Matthew got injured. So the fact that that safety group now is Thornhill and Reed 
could help keep the top on that defense a little bit. But yes, I, I worry about the Bills. I worry that they're going to come into Arrowhead. But I also would worry, just to kind of throw another wrench into this thing, if, if the Chiefs beat the Bills in this game, yeah, then like they're going to I mean, see each other in the playoffs. Yeah, They're, they're going to. And like, how do you keep that momentum as the Chiefs yeah. going for a playoff matchup? Like you right. almost would rather lose this game. I know. And it's it's crazy for us of all people to say, because we don't believe in all this hand wavy, yeah. you know, whatever yeah. postmodern hippy dippy bullshit. Momentum right? from a type yeah, of stuff. Right. Yeah. We don't believe in those things, but you're right. Like I would almost feel, and listen, I don't want to get the brakes blown off of us like we did last no. year, right? Like that game was not fun. No. Those blew us out. And then we we literally won by the slimmest of slim margins in the playoffs, which was amazing. I mean, it yeah. feels good to win a game like that, but it's also not sustainable, right? So, no. you know, I would like the Chiefs to be competitive in this game and show that they can hang with the Bills. And I, to me, that that is a win. If they come out of this opening stretch four and two, you know, if this is a close loss, I will be happy with that. I'd be a little bit nervous if the Chiefs win this game because, like you said, I mean, if they face the Bills in the playoffs, you're talking about beating Josh Allen, who I think most people would say is the second best quarterback in the NFL three times in a row in the playoffs. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. really hard to do. It's really hard to do. But listen, man, if anybody's capable of doing it, it's these Kansas City Chiefs. We'll see you on Sunday. It's always Sunday in Chiefs Kingdom.